Father, we bow to you in the name of Jesus. And we do so empowered by the Holy Spirit who takes our prayer and delivers it to the throne of God. We bow before you, dear God, in submission and surrender and in utter dependence, knowing that we have zero to offer. And that is true of every person. It is true of all of humanity. We don't have anything to offer God. This is your show. Everything that is done is done by your power. And so we invite you, dear God, to speak to us and to illumine our hearts and our minds and to put a yes in our spirit. We pray that you would just continue forming us into the image of Christ until we have the same zeal that Jesus had that allowed him to be so self-sacrificial and to be so humble and serving and so loving, so tender and sensitive. We ask, dear God, that you would form us into the image of Christ and have your way with us, that you may be glorified, your church strengthened, and your kingdom family expanded all the more beyond measure. We invite your spirit, we invite your power, we invite your will to be done. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. Would you turn with me again to the book of Malachi? The book of Malachi. The book of Malachi is a very important book because it is the last book of the Old Testament. It is when God was saying to the nation of Israel, this is my last time talking to you about returning to God. In the book of Malachi, I don't think the people of God got it because they did not hear from God again for another 400 years. And during that 400-year period, it was suffering and sadness and depression. And it was missing out on all the things that God had for them. And it was their children missing out on everything that God had for their children for 400 years. In the book of Malachi, we had started the reading before. And today we pick up in verse number 9. Because in verse number 9, their course was pretty set. Their hearts were pretty stubborn. The minds were pretty made up that what God is getting from us is all that God is going to get from us. And in verse number 9, they say, Now implore God to be gracious to us. And... Um, God responds with such offerings from your hands. Will he accept you? Says the Lord Almighty. And then one more verse, verse number 10. Oh, that one of you, 
And this is coming from the throne of the universe. This is coming from God. In verse number 9, God is saying, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. Thank you so much for standing with me to honor the reading of the words of our great God and King. The Bible in the book of Psalms says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We have one nation under God in our national pledge. We have in God we trust imprinted on our currency. But the problem is that nations have a way of divorcing God. They have a way of not staying in that close fellowship with God. They have a way of passing laws that say to God, you are no longer welcome. They have a way of changing their allegiances that would say to God, you are no longer our God. And that is what has happened with the nation of Israel in the book of Malachi. In the book of Malachi, they have divorced God. He's not a big deal anymore. He is not their priority anymore. They are not impressed with God, and they are not trying to impress God. And because God loves them, he would rather save their nation than destroy it. He would rather see their nation be on the incline rather than the decline. And so it is with our nation. So it is with us having God in our pledge and God on our currency. He would prefer to save this nation rather than judge this nation. But God is holy and God is just and God will judge this nation if we compel him to judge us. Our nation will decline instead of inclining if that is what we compel God to do. So in Malachi chapter 1 and in verse number 9, they have pretty much made the statement that God is getting what God is going to get. God sends the prophet Malachi because God's message to his people is, you got to do better. God's message to his people is, you got to do something different. And their minds are made up. What I am doing is what I'll be doing this time next year, the year after. I'm not looking to change. 
I'm not looking to make my sacrifices any better. I'm not looking to make my service any better. I'm not looking to improve my level of fellowship with God. What, what God is getting from me is what God can expect to get from me. I will not grow. I will not change. I will not become more sacrificial. God is getting what God is going to get. And then they say to the priest, whose job it is to pray for them and to represent them before God, they say, now implore God to be gracious to us. And so, basically what they're doing is that they're saying, God, no, 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 no. And then they say to the priest, uh, we need you to pray for us so that God can bless us as if we're all saying yes, 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 yes to God. We want you to pray for us and we want to get the blessing from God that would be the blessing that we would get if we were saying to God, I'm growing, I'm changing, I'm sacrificing more, I'm serving better. I want to be blessed like that. And uh, God just answers them with such offerings from your hands, will he accept you, says the Lord Almighty. And so God responds to the people. So you're asking to be blessed. You're asking me to accept you, to give regard to your prayers. You're asking me for the blessing of heaven. And God says, that's not going to happen. He says, when you look at how you're living for me and loving me and serving me and giving to me, are you really expecting that you'll be able to make God something less than your highest priority and still be blessed by God? Here's the answer in verse number 10. God says, you know what I really wish? You know what I really, really, really would like to see happen? And, and, and the verse starts out with O because that is an expression of frustration. It is, it, it, is a, it is an expression of the passion that God feels. It is the depth of the emotion of God bubbling to the surface. And he says, oh, that one of you, and I don't care which one, but, but just anybody, Oh, that one of you would shut the temple doors so that you would not light useless fires on my altar. He says to them, I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty, and I will accept no offering from your hands. What is God saying? This is God in verse number 10, 
and he is saying directly to his people in ways that they can all understand. He says, bring your best or bring nothing at all. If it's not going to bring, if, if it's not going to be your best, just don't bring it. And what he says to them very clearly is that any of these fires that you are lighting on my altar to offer these unacceptable sacrifices, he says it is a useless fire. And he tells them why. He says, because I will accept no offering from your hands. And so they are marching up to the temple and they have their little blemished sacrifices that they are wanting to offer God. And they know that they can do better. They know that they do better when they offer something to their governor. And God had just mentioned, he had said to them, why don't you try offering this to your governor? This stuff that is nothing more than mediocrity. Why don't you offer this to your governor? And what God is saying to them is, you know what good looks like. You know what your best is. And you also know that you have never given your best to me. And God says, if it's not your best, it's useless. God says, I have people who are like doing their tithing and you know, they're doing it sporadically. They're not even doing it uh, faithfully. God says they may as well put that money in the trash because up here in heaven, it didn't make it. I didn't accept it. They sent nothing ahead. It's just money wasted. And God looks at us when we do our service for him, whatever it is, and if it's not us putting our best forward, God is saying, you know what? Uh, I didn't put that on the books. I did not accept it. There's no credit that is going to be given for it. God looks at our attendance and we say, man, I'm making points with God. And he's written it down in his book that I was in church today. And God, if he sees that we're just coming in late and we don't have to be, or we're unfocused and we don't have to be, or we're just not interested when we could be interested and tuned in and trying to learn from God. And God says, it wasn't your best, and uh, just don't look for it to be on your record in heaven. Just don't look for there to be credit for it on the day of judgment because I didn't even accept it. It was not recorded as a good deed. And I think that that's one of the most important things that a Christian can really understand is that God doesn't record mediocrity. If it's not your best, it doesn't make the books. Not the book of good works. It's not there. Mediocrity doesn't get recorded in the book of good works. Why doesn't somebody shut the temple doors? Why doesn't somebody just lock them all out? God is not excited about us showing up unless we're showing up 
with our A game. If we're saying to God, hey, God, I'm going to church today and I'm going to do something to make it count. I'm going to make it somehow special. Maybe it's in how I worship. Maybe it's in how I do something to minister to your people. Maybe it's in how I use this as a way to invite others to you by bringing others to church. But I'm going to do something to make this church attendance special. Maybe it's that I want to come to church today and the thing that I'm after is I want to get something started that I can use to reach out to the rest of the community and to represent you as salt and light to people who don't know you. This is my segue. This is my start. This is my initiating something for your glory. I'm going to bring my A game And God says, if you can't bring your best, don't bring anything. Because whatever you give me, and it's not your best, I'm just going to put it in the trash and forget it. We know what our talents are, don't we? And we have talents. We use talents with our family, in our home. We use talents on our job. We use talents with our hobbies. And God has given giftedness to all his children. And God is saying, I want you to use it. And I want the very best. And that doesn't mean that we all run in a thousand different directions. We don't just all go, you know what, I'm going to start doing my best and I'm just going to do my own thing. No, we got to pull it all together, and we got to plan and strategize, and we have to figure out how to have synergy and make it work to the glory of God. And uh, when we get to chapter 2, God, uh, he wants the priest to know, I'm talking to you, by the way, this is what he says to the priest. Sometimes people are teachers or they're preachers and they, and they, and they think, oh, God's got a message for y'all. And in chapter 2, God is saying, hey, Art, got a message for you. And those of you who are Sunday school teachers and, and so on, I got a message for you. And um, in chapter 2, he, he says, I'm talking to the priests. Who were the priests? You know that the Jews were God's chosen people, right? Um. Nicole and I were talking about that in orientation this morning, how the Jews are God's chosen people. But they were just chosen to be his ambassadors, to reach out to the rest of the world. But the priests, they were like the cream of the cream. They were like the cream of the crop. The priests were the ones who were having direct access to God. 
They were the ones who go into the holy place, and they could once a year go into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement to offer for the sins of the nation. And so this was like the cream of the crop. And so God is saying in Malachi chapter 2 that I'm talking to the cream of the cream. I'm talking to the best among you. I'm talking to the, to, 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 to the cream of the crop, the best of the best. And sometimes we sort of have the opinion that God is talking to uh, just the, the, the outsiders or just the ones who are the less active among us or just the ones who are on the fringes of the congregation. And God says, if you consider yourself one of the main members, one of the best, I just want you to know that I'm talking to you. And so he's talking to the priest. And in the New Testament, in the kingdom of Christ, guess who the priests are? Because God no longer recognizes the tribe of Levi as the priest. Guess who the priests are now that Jesus has come? It's you and me. We're the priests. In Revelation chapter 1, verse number 6, do you know what God says about us? That we are a kingdom of priests, that we are kings and priests. In Revelation chapter 5, verse number 10, guess what he repeats? That the people of God, you and I, who are the born-again believers, that we are the kings and priests of God. And then you get way down into Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 6, and guess what God repeats again? That you and I are his priests. And that we're going to reign with Christ when Christ reigns on the earth. Now, if we are the cream of the crop, the select of God, what do we owe to God? What should we be trying to give to him if we're the ones who are the cream of his crop? the ones who are his ambassadors, the ones who are his representatives, the salt and the light, do we owe anything back to God? It's almost like Christians come in, in, in two basic brands. There's the Christian who says, God has done so much for us. He made us in his image and sent his son to die for us and Goodness and mercy is following us all the days of our lives. God has done so much for us, and how can I get some more? How can I get more from God? How can I get more, 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 more? Remember that old saying? I'm Jimmy. I'll take all you give me. That's the way some Christians are. They're looking for more, 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 more. How can I get more of God's money and blessings and, and all of this? And then there's the other kind of Christian that says, God has done so much for me, so much for us. How can I give back to God? What do I owe God? How can I reciprocate his love? There is that kind of Christian. Now let me ask you, which one is going to be the more blessed? The one who says, God has done so much, how can I get more? Or the one who says, God has done so much, how can I possibly repay him? 
What can I do for you, God? What do I owe? And of course, I owe it all. We're his priests. And if you're not really a Bible reader, if you're not really connected to the heart of God, it's kind of hard to appreciate that and to really know what that means. We're his priests. And Christ is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years, and that is Bible. And for a thousand years, he's going to pick people to reign with him. And they're going to be his representatives. They're going to be his governors and presidents, and they're going to be the ones who are administering the rule of Christ throughout the earth. Somebody has to govern Australia and Mexico and the United States and whatever nation we're talking about and somebody has to be the mayors over cities and, and all of these other things. Somebody has to be over the, it has to be over, over all these things that happen. And based on the faithfulness and the sacrifice and the affection of God's people that he has, that he has received from them, he's going to place them in different positions on different levels of authority. What it means is that if we, and, 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 and the Apostle Paul says that if we suffer with him, we'll also reign with him. What it means is that these positions that are filled by people who are unrighteous and people who are ungodly and, and people who are self-serving, all of that is going to go away and God is going to plug in his people. His people will be those who are running governments and that will be running states and will be running counties and will be running cities and will be running businesses as the CEOs of these production companies or whatever it is. It's going to be God's people in all the great positions. And God's going to do that based on our faithfulness, our service, our love, the way that we have put him as our first priority. So in verse number two, I'm sorry, in chapter number two, in verse number one, he makes it clear and he says, and now, you priest, this warning this warning is for you. God doesn't warn people for the sake of threatening people. God doesn't warn people for the sake of intimidating people. God warns people so that we can do something different while there's still opportunity to do something different. And so he says, priests, listen up, because this is for your ears only. He says to the priest, I'm talking to you, focus, give me a moment, let me share with you. And then he says in verse number two, 
if you do not listen. He says, here's the message, but the risk is you may not get it. You may not hear it. You may hear the mouthing of the words. It goes in one ear and out the other. You're out the door, and you forget what was said. You never make a decision about what you're going to do different, and you come back next Sunday, and things are still the same. He says, if you don't listen. If you do not listen, and... uh, if you do not resolve. And often that's what the message is missing. Often that's what's missing from the sermon. That after we hear, there's no resolution. There's no resolve. There's no decision that here's what I'm going to do with what I heard. And God says, if you're that person who hears, but you don't hear, who hears, but you never make a decision about anything that you hear. I hear it, and I just basically ignore it. If you do not listen, and if you do not resolve, resolve what? To honor my name. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to honor him. He wants us to make him look larger than life. He wants us to magnify him. He wants people to focus on him, to be attracted. He wants people to see who he is in the light of all his glory. We can do things to make God look like he is, he must be this awesome God. And we can also do things that make God look like he must be a champ. Do you remember when they were moving the ark to Jerusalem? Remember? They were moving it to Jerusalem. The Philistines had taken it in a battle, and then they had left it at someone's house for keeping, and then David became king, and David moved to Jerusalem. And he said, I want God to be with me in Jerusalem. I, I want to I be close to him. I'm going to move the ark of the presence of God to Jerusalem. And the ark was coming to Jerusalem and uh, the ox stumbled and some knucklehead who was near the cart reaches out to grab the ark of the covenant so that it wouldn't fall. And what did God do? God dropped him dead right there. How are you going to make me look like I'm a God who can't even catch myself? How are you going to make me look like I'm a God who's about to fall on his face? And God wants to be honored. And I applaud those Christians who say, yeah, I'm going to do everything in my power to be diligent, to be prudent. I'm going to try to protect myself, and I'm going to try to guard myself, and I'm going to try to guard other people, and so on. But I'm going to church. Because I... I need to be in the proximity of the Almighty. I need to worship. I need to see the saints. I need to be fed. And uh, God is big enough to keep me. And like the Hebrew boys said, if he doesn't, I'm okay with that too. 
because I am not going to dishonor God by treating him like I'm intimidated by something more than I'm intimidated by God. God wants us to honor him. God wants people to be able to go through your life. Look at how you spend your time. And they say, man, I'm looking at how this person spends their time. God is awesome to this person. I'm looking at how they spend their money. (laughs) Obviously, God is their first priority. I'm looking at where they do their best. I'm looking at when things have to give and they can't be faithful to God and their job. What are they doing? When they can't satisfy God and their kids, God and their spouse, what, what, what is it that they're doing? God wants to be able to just sift through the details of our lives, and he wants it to be evident from what he finds that he is our highest priority. That's what it means to honor God. God has to be right here, and then the other stuff has to start down here. And if I'm giving God and anything else like the same attention, the same priority, the same intensity, the same passion, God says, man, that really dishonors me, that you would put something else on the level with the Almighty. But the, the truth of the matter is that we're never here where we put something else on the level with God and it just stays. The truth of the matter is when we dishonor God like that, our hearts are compromised. Our spirits are injured. We become spiritually dull and spiritually weak and spiritually ill. And that thing that was on level with God takes over being God of our lives. And, and, and uh, that's what the story of Solomon tells us. Solomon was so committed to God. He was so passionate about God. But when he allowed something else to compete with God, like he did with the God Mullet, it wasn't long before God was just losing ground and uh, Solomon's heart was just totally turned away from God. God says, when I sift through the details of your life, I got to be up here, and everything else has to be a distant second, third, fourth, fifth. God says, I got to stand alone. That's what it means to honor me, that I am always most important. We think about God being displeased, and we think about the people who are sneaking around and having adultery, and we think about people who are doing this and that, and pornography and drugs and all this kind of stuff. And God says, you know what it takes to really displease me? God says, just don't put me in a category all by myself where I am unquestionably number one in your life. Here's what God says. Because we think that in order to get God to say something like this to us, 
we got to be into pornography or adultery or doing something like that. And God says, no. If you're not honoring me, if you're not making me your first priority, here is what is going to happen. He says in verse number two, I will send a curse on you. Some Christians don't buy that. Some Christians don't believe that. Some Christians say, I'm a Christian. I can't be cursed. I am a child of God. Curses can't work on me. A curse from God will work on you. What won't work is a curse from the enemy if you are being faithful to God. That's when a curse won't work. God says, I will send a curse on you. And I'm going to do it in the worst way. He's not going to just send an ordinary curse. It's not that kind of curse. Look at the kind of curse it is. It's the worst kind of curse. Because he says that I will curse your blessings. You know the good things that I have done for you? You know the wonderful gifts that I have provided for you? God says, that's what I'm going to attack. What do you mean? Turn your blessings into curses. Oh, yeah, like that car I blessed you with. You know I can turn that into a money pit, and instead of you enjoying it and talking it up, you can instead be complaining about how much you're having to spend on this doggone car. You know that beautiful home? I can turn that into the last place you want to be. You don't even want to go home. I can do that. God says, that job that you prayed about and you were bragging about it when I gave it to you, I can turn that job into the biggest disappointment of your life. I can turn your investments into nothing but a source of worry. I can take your perfect health and turn it into a health crisis. I can turn your sleep into tossing and turning. I can turn your respect into shame and embarrassment. God says, I will curse your blessings. The things that I gave you, the things that I blessed you with, I will attack those very things. And he says, now, let me stop talking in future tense about our will. And let me give you some more bad news. It's already begun. He says, yes, I have already cursed them because you have not resolved to honor me. You know what God is saying to some of his people? 
you still haven't come to that place yet where you've made up your mind that you are going to honor me. You're still trying to please people. You're still trying to please yourself, and you're not yet focused on honoring me. How can I best please God? How can I make God look good? Some of us haven't made up our minds yet that God is number one. Lip service, he doesn't buy. You have to show him with your sacrifice, with your suffering, with your service, with your affection, that God is number one. And uh, people hear that and they go, I'm good. I don't need to hear that. I don't need to change anything. I'm good. And they go right on. And they're exactly the same as they were before. Nothing changed. And uh, just one last verse, verse number three. Verse number three. It's because of you. So don't blame society. Don't blame social media. Don't blame entertainment. It's because of you. Don't blame racism and society. Don't blame the evil around you. It's because of you. I will rebuke your descendants. It's because of you that I'm going to have issue with your children. It's because of you that your children won't know the blessing that they should be enjoying from God Almighty. God says it's holding you back from the blessing and from the honor that God wanted to give to you, and it's going to also hold back your children. God says, you think you're going to be able to fix this <laughs> when they get a little older? You think you're going to be able to just show your kids that they're more important than God and they not catch that same warped spirit? You think you're going to be able to show your kids that you are more important than God, that work is more important than God, that hobbies are more important than God, relaxation is more important than God, having time off is more important than God, having time with the family is more important than God, my health is more important than God, the mortgage is more important than God, everything is more important than God, and you think you're going to be able to fix that warped spirit later? God says you get to raise them. You get to evangelize them. You get to disciple them. You get to show them that God is God over all. But if you don't show them that, guess what's going to happen? The problems that you're facing and the issues that you and I have and this cold relationship that you have with me, you're going to see that same thing reproduced in your kids. You're not just messing up your life. You're messing up your kids' lives is what God is warning them. 
It's hard to believe what God is saying in verse number 3. He says, I will smear on your faces the dung, the excrement from your festival sacrifices. And you will be carried off with it. God says, you're bringing these mediocre animals to me. Not giving me your best. He said, I'm going to take this animal's dung, this animal excrement. He's going to wipe your faces in it. And he says, and you'll be carried off with it. What is he saying? He means carried off into captivity. That your nation is going to go into captivity and man, what a final ending. Is that, is that the finish that any of us should want? That we're going to end our lives in dishonor because we always dishonored God by never making God our priority. You know what God is saying to these people? God is saying, do you really think that you're going to spend your lives never putting me first and you're going to finish well anyway? God says, "Uh uh-uh. I'm going to see to it that you don't. You know what God wants for you and for your kids? For us to be able to finish well, to leave a legacy where they remember us with veneration and with high regard. That's how he wants us to finish. He doesn't want people to have to lie at our funeral, find something to talk about, that people can giggle about at the funeral. We uh, hear that verse a lot at the funerals. I have fought a good fight. I've finished my course. And now there's laid up for me a crown of glory which the Lord shall give me on that day. Lie You didn't honor him. You didn't live like that. And there is no crown of glory to honor the mediocrity that you gave to God. This warning is for you, priests. God says, you don't have to hear this. And you don't have to change. You can keep doing what you're doing. You can keep being you. And you can keep having your own things going on. Instead of prioritizing God and his kingdom and serving him, you can just keep on living life the way that you're living it. And God says, here's the warning, priest. 
I will make sure you don't finish well. We don't have to live for God. We don't have to suffer. We don't have to sacrifice. We don't have to serve. We don't have to change our priorities. We don't have to grow. We don't have to do anything to honor him and magnify him. But God says, I'll make sure you finish in this grace. As too many of our brothers and sisters have, God finished in this grace. And God wants something better for you if you're willing to have it. But it's your choice. Let's pray. I pray, dear God, that by the power of your spirit, this word, this eternal word that applies just as much today as it did when it was written, I pray that it may be embedded into our thickened, hardened, stubborn hearts. That somehow we would get the message that that is the only way to win and that is to really magnify you, to really honor you, to really place you as our first priority and that you'll take care of all the details of our lives. That if we can seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these other things will be provided for us. That we won't miss anything because no good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly. I pray that you would help us, dear God, to just really come to our senses because we see what the word of God says and we're convinced somehow of something else and it just doesn't add up that the God who is on the throne should lie, that he should give us something that is wrong, that is not true. Your word is true. It is established forever. And I pray that you would help us to grasp it, to live it out, to honor you. I pray for these who are seated in this place, that they would finish well, that they would make their lives a mission of honoring and glorifying you, and then they can stand before you on the day of judgment. And be honored in front of the whole universe. That they have done well. That they're good and faithful servants. And that you're making them ruler over much. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll be standing and singing. It's an opportunity to reconnect, recommit ourselves to God.